Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast. Joining me on the show today is your boy, the wizard himself, Gandalf. I know you're following Gandalf. Everybody's following Gandalf. But do you know anything about him? Do you know the first thing about him? He's, he's a pretty unique lad, I gotta tell you. He's got some stories up his sleeve. I was lucky enough to run into Gandalf personally a few times this year. And he was kind enough to pass me the, the book about mining put together by the Brains team, which is really worth checking out. Guys, it unlocks and helps connect a lot of dots along the way. Really basically written stuff for the plebs to do a deep dive into mining. Gandalf is now also helping out the Coin Corner team with their expansion into the Middle East, and we do talk about that as well in the show. So reach out to Gandalf, make sure you're following him if you're not great value and great fun guy brilliant to have in the space before we get into the show make sure you are stacking some sats i just mentioned coin corner they are one of the show sponsors danny was just recently on the on the uh, the show talking about their expansion into the middle east and dubai so go check that one out as well you can stack sats with coin corner in euros or sterling make sure you're hitting the, the link in the show notes to get your free 10 pounds and um yeah, keep stacking. You can also stack across Europe with Relay, R-E-L-A-I dot C-H forward slash Bitten. Use code R-E-L 727 to save on commissions. They've got a bunch of new features coming out as well in the new year. This space is moving so quickly. Make sure you've got your DCA plans in place. You can use swanbitcoin.com forward slash Bitten in the US. That will get you a free 10 bucks. If you do not want to use an exchange or an app because you are conscious of KYC, know your customer. You can use HODL, HODL. They now support the show. HODL, HODL forward slash Bitten will save on trade commission. That's a peer-to-peer trading platform, global trading platform. It's worth checking out if that is the rabbit hole that you are falling into. If you want to break your KYC, and improve your privacy, you can use a coin joining service. Do your own research, find which ones are out there. I can recommend wasabiwallet.io. I found them to be very simple, very easy to use. This was my first foray into this rabbit hole. You download the desktop client, wasabiwallet.io, create your first wallet, record your words, hit a receive address, run some, run some sats through it, and it's done. The coin join all works. You'll probably do this your first time. All, all completely everything under an hour. It's worth checking out if this is something that you want to start learning about in 2023. Please make sure you are stacking safer than that and you have cold storage devices. If we've learned anything this year, please self-custody your Bitcoin. You can use the Bitbox 02 Bitcoin only hardware edition wallet from shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten 
and use the code BITTEN for a 5% discount. Here's the wizard. We are with Gandalf. How are you, brother? What's up, man? Uh, very excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I, I wanted to, before before we got talking pre-record, I wanted to make sure that we got this one uh, on, on, the, uh, on the audio because you showed me your Bitcoin wall and you've got one of the keys up there from Fractal, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I picked, I, yeah, I mean, I was 48, so I was one of the early-ish ones. I, I thought I had 21. So when I was buying, I went on to have a look and it was because it told you what number they were on. It was on 21. And I wasn't actually, I don't think I was planning on buying one, but since it was on 21, I was like, I have got to have 21. So I bought one, but it turns out that like the counter was wrong or something. Anyway, it's all good. Still happy to have it. Was that on scarce.city? Is that where they were all sold? I think so, yeah. Excellent. And and Canute will get a, a, a kick out of listening to that as well because he's obviously Fractal's number one fangirl and it is his little... uh formula there infinity yeah. over 21 million yeah well actually so um funny story the first bitcoin merch i ever bought was the infinity over 21 million hoodie from canute before i knew who canute was even was or like knew anything about bit well it was like just when i was first getting into it um i bought that i bought the laser eye the woman with the laser eyes and the tongue her tongue's out and she's got an orange pill on it i've got that t-shirt as well i think that's all from his collection right mate that's awesome so yeah. And I, I posted this yesterday. I have my, my HSBC t-shirt on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you I see, haven't did seen you the, see that. Is it HBDC? That's correct. Yeah. Uh, nice. I've seen the HFSP one. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but, I, what, so what does that stand for? This is the thing. It, anything it calls, anything it, we want? No, 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 no. It does yeah. stand for one specific thing, but I posted it on Twitter yesterday. I was on a call with the Free Madeira guys. Uh, three Maxis were on there and none of them could get it and they were like oh this is so freaking annoying but when it clicked it clicked uh and for me it's a design i ran into six and lemon so big shout out to six and lemon you can design your own shirt and they will just run it up for you and anyone then can buy it right so uh, nice i just had this idea i can't remember it was going to riga last year the uh the baltic honey badger and then there was another HSBC headline, some some more criminality coming out from uh, the Hong Kong Shanghai Banking Corporation. <laughs> and uh, I think they were fudding Bitcoin as well. And I was like, Honey Badger doesn't care. And I'm like, oh, that's great. HBDC with the HSBC side. Uh, <laughs> so that's nice. what it stands for. Honey Badger nice. doesn't care. Nice. I like it. I think it'll be a nice little, it's op OPSEC friendly and will attract that keen-eyed maxi if you're ever out wearing it you know i, I see you got your hoodie on there what, what's that one mine says don't trust verify right it's from the brain it's the one of the brains limited edition drops brains and brains like mine that brains minds a merch block every quarter or so and it's all oh, limited edition stuff. yeah is that right okay yeah that's cool well, that's fun yeah uh your idea i mean we haven't had last one came out maybe in September or so, so should be another one dropping in the new year at some point. Was that your idea? No, I thought no. you're head of marketing. I'm not head of marketing. I'm <laughs> in the marketing team. Uh, I don't know whose idea it was. I think it was already. I think it might have already been an idea before I joined or as I was joining. So I've only been there a year and a half. So okay. Yeah. yeah, well, let's do the fun stuff, mate. Let, let, let's lead up to Brains. And yep. then I spoke to 
a certain somebody else yesterday that, that informed me that you are now working with that team as well. So we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah, um, we, we we can talk about all of that. But the fun stuff is what led you to the Bitcoin rabbit hole in the first place. You know these mm. these um th- these touch points, these pre-touch points throughout people's lives that kind of prime them to find the Bitcoin rabbit hole. What were you doing, mate? Where were you growing up? What was going on? What was life like as as young as a young wizard? Yeah. Uh, okay. It's. I'll try and make it as brief as possible on the not so relevant, interesting bits. So I'm originally from Spain. Uh, I don't think anyone really knows that. I haven't ever said it publicly. I'm originally from Spain, uh, but uh, my parents lived in Portugal when I was born. So I was born in Spain, my entire family is Spanish, but my parents already lived in Portugal, just went to Spain to have me. And then, so we lived in Portugal for two years. Then I lived in Brazil for six and a half years through the hyperinflationary period of the nineties there, although I was very young. Um, so I've only very, very little memories of Brazil. Uh, and then in 1996, I moved to Hong Kong and that's where I lived until last year. So my orange pilling moment sort of happened in Hong Kong. Um, <clears throat> I, I went to university in the UK for a few years. So I studied in Bristol and I did a degree in economics of money, banking and finance. <laughs> and as a team, yeah, yes, oh, this will get, shit. I'll tell you about that. It's, it's <laughs> okay. hilarious. All right. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, uh, yeah, so I studied uh, a degree called Economics of Money, Banking, and Finance. As a teenager, uh, I would become obsessed with topics, as I'm sure many Bitcoiners do. Um, and one of the things I became obsessed with was uh, like investing and Warren Buffett in particular. So I just devoured like every investing book you could think of. You know, Peter Lynch, Warren Buffett, Joel Greenblatt, all that, all that stuff, right? Um, and so I was kind of, uh, yeah, rich dad, poor dad. So I read a bunch of his books. So like, I'd read about gold a little bit. I think I owned some silver at some point when I was a teenager. Like I bought it from Kitco. I mailed off a check. Then I had like, you know, paper silver. And then when I sold it, they mailed me back a check. Um, uh, and I did my dissertation at university about silver as well. And it's funny, I went back to check my dissertation the other day to see if I mentioned Bitcoin in it, and I did not. And that was in 2011. Uh, I would have really kicked myself if I'd mentioned Bitcoin in 2011 and then not done anything about it. So I was, I was kind of glad I didn't know. It didn't, didn't cross my radar. Um, anyway, so I was kind of primed. I understood the financial world. I tried to get into finance after university, but it was like 2011-ish time. Uh, so it was still really hard to get a job. I almost got a job at Fidelity. I was very close almost got a job at Bloomberg. And then I ended up just going into the logistics industry because that's the only job I could get at the time. Uh, And then I moved on to become a real estate agent. And that's what I did basically until I got into Bitcoin. Um, But but yeah, the context of that is that I was primed already. I understood the financial world. I had like studied gold a little bit and silver. Um, Being obsessed with Warren Buffett, I remember that at one point he did buy some gold like in the 80s or something and very quickly sold it afterwards. Um, Anyway. Uh, so I worked as a real estate agent and, uh, towards the end of my career, I knew I wanted to get out and do something else. And my plan was to try and learn software development. I just bought a property management company and like brokerage. So I had staff that basically ran the business. Um, we, we, uh, me and a business partner bought a, basically a failing business and turned it around. Uh, and then, so, uh, but I decided so, and that was also around that time, after a year of owning the business, my wife and I decided that we were gonna leave Hong Kong. So 
uh, we bought a place in Scotland. And when I went to Scotland to get the keys, I had like 10 days off. This was also during COVID, like peak COVID. So it was like November, 2020 or something. Um, and that's the first time that I had some time to sort of, uh, the business had done really well by the way. So like I was investing in stocks and I bought some Bitcoin in 2019, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and yeah, so I had some, it was the first time I had some time in like a year to really stop and just like listen to pods and like study a bit and like just not focus on the business. Um, and somehow I was listening to podcasts. They were talking about Bitcoin. I was already watching the price. I had some already from 2019. The first time I heard about it was in 2017, I was taking around a client um, who was trying to rent a place and he was quite successful, well-to-do, seemed really smart. And he told me, he mentioned Bitcoin and Ethereum to me. And I was like, this guy is like somebody I respect and like who seems to understand what they're talking about. And if he's talking about these things, uh, there must be something there. So I kind of like said, okay, I'm going to watch this. I like joined crypto Twitter. I followed people on crypto Twitter. I remember the moment where like uh, Roger Ver laughed at Andreas and then everyone gave him Bitcoin and because he's like, I have no Bitcoin, right? So I was there. I watched that on Twitter, but I was not participating in Bitcoin or anything. Didn't have any. And then and I did the normie thing, which is like, it's a bubble. It has no intrinsic value. It's open source. Anyone can just copy it. Like, how does this have, you know, it's, it's a bubble. So I, but I was watching it. And then obviously in 2018, when the price crashed, I was like, yes, I'm vindicated. I was right. You know, I did the graveyard. I was like the mainstream media doing the graveyard dance. Like, oh yeah. Um, and then in 2019, when the price went back up, I was like back up to 10 K. I was like, okay, there must be something here that I'm missing. Because if it was a bubble, it would have just crashed and died, but it's come back to halfway to its all-time high. So there's something here I'm not understanding. I need to understand what's going on here. So I bought some Bitcoin in 2019, left it. I bought it on Binance, left it on Binance uh, and didn't look at it again through the, uh, through the March crash of uh, 2020. I was like, I didn't, it was like, I'm never selling it. So I don't care, but I, was, I wasn't like planning on buying more. And as my business did well, and I was like buying shares and stuff, I was like, okay, I've already bought enough of everything else that I was going to buy. I might start nibbling away at some Bitcoin. So start nibbling away at Bitcoin. This takes me all the way through to 20, the end of 2020, when I have this coming to Scotland to get my house, the keys to my house. And I have this time and going back into Hong Kong, Hong Kong has really draconian uh, rules for COVID. So you had to do 14 days in a hotel quarantining in a hotel room without being allowed to leave or anything. So I had 14 days where like I would work remotely during the day and then in the afternoons and evenings I had free time. So I uh, somehow got onto a Michael Saylor, I think it was a Michael Saylor on Real Vision and on Pomp's podcast. And that was the first time where I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. That the analogy that really did it, that like basically piqued my interest and made me realize that this is incredible was like when Michael Saylor describes like, you know, Facebook as a social network and Apple as a mobile network or an operating system network and that Bitcoin is a monetary network. And I understood like money is the most in demand good in the world, right? Everyone uses it. When I, that analogy like blew my mind and I was like, okay, I have to sell everything I own and buy Bitcoin. <laughs> so I spent the next two weeks, like basically in that room, watching podcasts and videos and stuff, selling everything I owned and buying Bitcoin. Um, and then the way I've ended up working in Bitcoin is even more funny. So uh, my business partner and I fell out. So I stopped kind of being involved in the business for the last six months that I was in Hong Kong. 
And I was so obsessed with, I, I used to be like on real estate. My real name, is, my real account is on real estate Twitter. So I didn't want to keep tweeting about Bitcoin on my real estate Twitter account. So I made, I remembered Crypto Cobain from 2017, right? And I said, okay, I'm going to make a NIM account so I can just talk about Bitcoin all the time without having it associated to my real account. And so I made Bitcoin Gandalf and started spending 12 hours a day on Twitter and just spent six months basically learning about Bitcoin because I had a, I had all that time. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I got a job of brains and then here we are. There's a lot of touch points there. Holy Sorry. Crap. Yeah, I know. I, mean, I said I was going to keep it brief. No, that's, that's how it happened. That, 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 that's amazing. Uh, I want to like, unpack, <clears throat> unpack some of this kind of timeline. Uh, and I'm interested to know, uh, as a teenager, what pulled you down that rabbit hole? What, what was your father doing? What, what were your parents involved in mm, business? Uh, so my dad was terrible. It was it's funny. My dad was terrible with money, right? So I always felt that wasn't what pulled me down the rabbit hole of like learning about investment and money and stuff. Um, that was my mom gave me the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, when I was 14. And she said, if I'd read this book when I was your age, like my life would be completely different, right? My parents both come from a really small town in Spain. They both left school at like 13, 14 and went to work. They both did university, like once they were adults at night working at the same time. And sort of like they were self-educated. They weren't like educated through the school system because they just had to go to work. My, my dad would go to work and then bring the money home and give it to his parents and that, you know, so he could, they could pay for food and stuff. Um, so my mom wised up a bit. My dad was, he was a bit reckless with his money. He just kind of like, he was a bit of a hedonist. He'd like enjoyed his women, his drinking, his smoking, his, yeah. He, he burned the candle at both ends. He passed away uh, like eight years ago now. Um, sorry, six years ago now. Uh, so yeah, but so he worked on a, he worked for a Spanish manufacturing company. He worked for the same company for 42 years or something, started it off loading trucks, eventually became like a salesman. And then he was eventually like sent around the world to open, to be the GM of, of manufacturing plants across the world, which is why we lived in Portugal, Brazil, and then Hong Kong. He lived in China. So we lived in Hong Kong. He was across the border in China. Um, and my mom took care of us and just worked she was a freelance translator and Spanish teacher. Uh, so yeah, my mom bought some real estate during the SARS crisis in Hong Kong. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And she basically, she made a friend that was like sort of financially savvy and he taught her about like investing and stuff like that, mainly in real estate. Um, so she bought a, she bought a, a piece of property in Hong Kong during SARS and anyone who did that basically uh, made a lot of, not a lot of, it depends obviously on the piece of property you made, but you know, property went up. 800x or sorry uh, like 8x or 10x in like the next 10 years or something um so yeah she gave me this book and that's what sent me down the rabbit hole of of like investing and it was i was kind of like that the there was a fire because i felt i felt financially unsafe as a child as a teenager relying on my dad my dad was the main bread my mom worked but my dad was the main breadwinner and he was so erratic with money that i felt like I had to learn how to make money myself because at any point my dad would like either die or lose his job or something would happen. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that played a part. I also was just obsessed with it. Wow. And, and those books you mentioned, I've read them as well, uh, especially uh, Peter Lynch and, and Greenblatt were very uh, formative to me when I was learning about um, investing and the stock market. 
Uh, Peter Lynch especially, because he, he doesn't go into too much of the economic theory and all of this kind of technical yeah. analysis bullshit. He's like, if you know, intuition trumps everything. And he's got a few great little stories in there. Like I remember one company in particular, it was called Legs, I think, if I remember the book correctly. He was just shopping with his wife. And as they were at the queue to check out, he saw that they were selling, this company was selling... Um, tights we call them in the uk i don't know what they call them in uh the us uh but basically in a, in an egg-shaped little um container so mm. if you ever laddered your tights you had one of those spare ones in your handbag and he went and bought the ass out the stock and yeah, made yeah. an absolute 10 bagger on it or something and stories like that just made me realize ah that is investing for the common day man all you really need is an account anyone can set an account up at a brokerage and that's what started led, led me down the, the investing rabbit hole uh, because otherwise people as you'll attest to in your degree i'm sure you went into some like ridiculous math as someone like alan farrington would call it uh let, let's talk about that that those, those years that you spent learning what was the title of the degree again it's a beauty so the degree it was a bachelor of arts a ba and it was economics and then in brackets, money, banking, and finance. <laughs> right. It's one of these, I went to UWE, the University of the West of England. So it's like the Bristol Polytechnic. So it's one of these like, you know, what the uh, what the Americans would call like a liberal arts, you know, degree thing that's kind of like, yeah, it's, it wasn't straight economics. So like we did have, you know, obviously we talked, it was, there was like a little bit of business in there. It was obviously like talking about investing in stocks uh, equities. There was, I, I, we must've covered a topic on what money is, but I don't recall it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was all Keynesian economics. So, and I, I, because I had been so like obsessive about studying about investment before I already, you know, that like first class was like, this is what a stock is. I'm like, okay, I know how to, you know, I've read like the little book of valuations. I know how to value. I know what a P ratio is. I know all that stuff already. So I didn't even go to most of the lectures. I got, I got my best grades at the lectures that I didn't ever attend and my worst grades at the ones I did attend because I only attended the classes where I was like, I have no idea what this topic is. I know nothing about it. Like statistics, for example, I was like not great at maths. Um, so I, I went, yeah, but I got my worst grade at statistics because I just couldn't, I couldn't get it. I didn't get it. Uh, like mm -hmm. the mathematical theory wasn't. <laughs> exactly. I like the applied, like, you know, Financial valuations like applied maths, you're like applying it to some real world stuff, some numbers where it's like A minus B equals C, like, yeah, that just flies over my head. Um, All of so, that Talebian magic stuff that he likes to draw up on the whiteboard and, uh, you know, bamboozle everybody with. That's the whole charlatan trick of it. Because, oh, yeah. this guy's clearly uh, far smarter than anybody else. And I just must uh, invest with somebody that knows what they're doing. It's just such a, it's all bullshit. Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, it helped me understand the, uh, you know, the distribution meme where like, you know, there's the two ends and then there's like the normies in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you get out of college then and something uh, you, before you did real estate, I, I was jotting it down. Um, yeah. So I, I tried to get a job and I wanted to be like an investment manager. Logistics is what I, I went mean? into logistics because right. I couldn't get a job in finance. So I got down to like the last 10 people of like the Fidelity graduate program. Mm -hmm. 
out of like, they said they had a thousand applicants. I got down to the, like the last 10. So it was like assessment day. I went into the, we had to pitch a stock and say why we would buy it or sell it. Um, I can't remember if we got to pick the stock or if they gave us a, like a, a certain stock. I remember the stock and I remember what I said. Anyway, um, I went into the assessment day and there was like, they'd flown people from all over the, all over Southeast Asia to be there. And I walked into the conference room where there was some other, other candidates. And the first question they asked me is like, oh, where did you intern last summer? I was like, I'd never interned anywhere. Like, you know, they're like one's parent had run a hedge fund. The other one had entered at uh, like Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. Uh, there was one guy that had already gone through like the GE capital graduate scheme and was just wanting to switch over to Fidelity. Uh, so I was just like basically self-educated. I just read the books and I, yeah, anyway. Uh, so couldn't, I didn't get, I didn't end up getting, it was so funny. I remember the, we got taken to dinner after the assessment day, all the candidates with like the existing Fidelity stuff. We all got to ask them a question, the staff. Uh, and somebody asked them like, what changed for you um, when you started working at Fidelity? And the guy was like, oh, I never have to worry about money anymore. <laughs> it was just ridiculous from a job, right? You'd maybe from somebody who started their own business and was really successful at it. Uh, then you get that, like from that, they could never have to worry about money ever again. But saying that, imagine someone saying that to you now about it, they have a job and the job gives them financial security to the point they never have to worry about money again. And these are like young guys. So it just goes to show like how rigged the game is that those people and those sorts of jobs can make so much money that, uh, yeah, that they never have to worry about money again. And openly saying this to like, obviously they're trying to sell us on wanting to work there, right? Because we're all we're all there trying to get a job. But that just is funny. That That's like the two things that stuck with me was them asking me where I'd interned as if it was like a given that I'd interned anywhere. Uh, and this guy saying that, yeah, the, that uh, he never had to worry about money again. Um, Without yeah. realizing he's just a tiny cog in a, in a huge machine with a, a target on his back. Yeah. Well, they're near this, they do have a target on their back now, but for whilst the fiat system's still going, they, they're near the spigot, right? Fidelity are, well, any, any investment manager there, they're collecting their, their management fees on trillions and trillions of dollars that, are, that they're managing. It's all such a farce. It truly is. Do you, do you, you said you remember the stock you had to pitch. What, yes, what it was, was it? Lifestyle International Holdings. They own... Uh, I don't know what else they did, but they own one of the big department stores in Hong Kong called Sogo. And it's uh, it was owned or maybe it is still owned or whatever. Hong Kong has like a, the, the way Hong Kong business works is like basically five or six families own every single major business in Hong Kong. Hmm. It's like it's like a, it's like the Middle East with the royal family owning a bunch of the majority of the businesses. But this is instead of like a royal family, it's just like six families that like started businesses in the 50s there and just all grew to own everything. Um, there's a guy called Joseph Lau. He also owned or owns Country Garden Holdings, which is like China's biggest real estate developer was back then. He was a billionaire. He was famous for having bought a 787 Dreamliner as his private jet at the time. Yeah. So I said I would sell the stock because of co corporate governance issues because one single entity controlled, it was a public company, but one single entity controlled too many of the shares. And that often happens in Hong Kong. It's like, it's a public company, but the shareholders don't matter because the uh, family that brought, that owned that business and took it public still owns the majority of the voting shares. So that was, yeah, that was what I was saying. That basically, but just purely at a base level corporate, like FTX, right? 
no matter how good the business is, you're you're liable to like you're there's no account there's no accountability. There's one person who can do whatever they want. And if they lose it one day or make a mistake, you're all screwed. All the shareholders are screwed. And so I said I would sell it. And funnily enough, he ended up going to jail for some like corruption thing. Wow, mate. There, yeah, there, there's another the touch point. Another touch centralization. You you yeah. you you looked at that very, very closely. Yeah. And obviously realized without knowing centralization was a bad idea. Yep. Yep. I was like, what's the point of being a public company and having shareholders if one guy gets to make all the decisions anyway? Everyone's just fit. He's just dumping his bags on you, keeping all the control, and you hope to come along for the ride and get rich maybe if he does the job properly. Hey, are we talking about CGH or Ethereum right now? I've, I'm <laughs> lost. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's been interesting that the FTX thing has come down to basically a corporate, you know, it is a corporate governance issue because it's very likely that good corporate governance would have prevented Sam from being able to do what he did. Um, and it's funny, like my, sh I be I've also owned a business with a business partner and had like you know beef. So I understand corp. Yeah, I understand corporate governance. I understand the importance of like who controls what, who can do what, uh, and how that can literally change your experience of owning a business as a business owner and also the performance of the business itself you have someone who's maybe running it you know in in um favoring themselves over the business or doing things that you know fit their life over what's best for the business or what you may have agreed with different business partners uh so yeah being in a business is like you know being a shareholder not maybe not so much of a shareholder but being in a business is like being, uh, sorry, having a business partner is like being married. You have to take it very, very, very seriously. I want to talk about that because you said you you bought a failing business and you managed mm. to turn it around. So let's delve into what what did you manage to put into place to, to turn that business around? You know, explain what was going on. Why was that business failing to begin with? And what steps did you guys take to turn it around and make it successful? Yeah, I'll just give some context because we talked we talked about finance and then I went I worked I went to work in logistics, but that's just because like I played football with some mates. I couldn't get a job in finance 2011, and then some guy was like, "We're looking for someone in our team in this logistics company." It was a 24 hour. It was a a department that was on <clears throat> excuse me 24 hours a day. So we did rolling shifts like morning, afternoon, and night shift, and switched over every six days. So you'd have six days on, two days off. Uh, and it was organizing hand carry shipments of important parts for manufacturing. So when a manufacturing plant, for example, Continental, who makes car parts in Mexico, their plant would go down. So they're making, let's say they're making tires for like a Ford Mondeo. Ford contracts Continental and says, you have to make X amount of tires per day. Every day you don't reach this target. We fine you $5 million, right? Or whatever it is. So Continental's uh, plant, uh, machinery breaks down so that can't make tires. They need semiconductors from TSMC in Taiwan and they need them yesterday. So what do they do? They call us, we send someone to Taiwan and they fill up suitcases full of semiconductors and fly to Mexico. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So that's what I did. I, I, we would get the job from the client and we yeah. would have to figure out, they're like, we need X amount of like semiconductors picked up from here and delivered here. And I would have to like, place a courier to wherever they had to go pick up the shipment and find the fastest route across the world to deliver the shipment as quickly as possible. 
<clears throat> knowing which countries are best to go through. You'd have to learn a lot about travel, yeah. like customs clearance and all that. Anyway, I did that for a year. I tried to move into the sales team there, but they wanted me to stay at the other team. So I basically quit without having another job. I had some interviews lined up. I was going to go to another logistics. I was interviewing with another logistics company the day before that final interview with the other logistics company, after I'd already quit this first one, um, a family friend had started a real estate. Oh, this is actually a good story. A family friend has started a real, a, a real estate agency. And in Hong Kong, real estate agencies are very much like brick and mortar. There's like agency shops on the high street and they'd started a, an online agency. So it was like no, and real estate in Hong Kong is super expensive. So running a shop, you know, your, your OPEX is huge just on rent. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you're sending the agents to sit there in the shop from nine to six every day. And most agents are working after hours, like in the evenings, because that's when people can go viewing because they have jobs. Anyway, so the revolutionary side of that brokerage was that it was freelance. Agents could work whatever hours you wanted. Uh, you had, tar if you, if you got a salary, you had targets to meet, obviously to cover your own costs, or you could just go fully commission only. And, you know, upside was unlimited, but downside was zero. Um, and I was like, I like this. This sounds more entrepreneurial than sitting in an office for a salary. Like here, if I'm really good, I can make unlimited money. So, uh, so I decided last minute to get a job there. Well, get a job. I joined freelance. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't have a license. So for the first like three or four months, all I did was just like basically be a PA to one of the agents or to my team of agents. I was like just going to photograph, just doing whatever they couldn't be bothered to do basically. But I had a really good foundational like four months of just learning the ropes before I ever had to meet a client, which was amazing. Um, and so that went really well. And I did that for like three years. But so the reason I said that's a good story is because the company was started by a guy called Brendan Bloomer which I don't know if you recognize the name. No. He is the, he went on to found block one, which did the EOS ICO, which is the largest ICO ever in the history. They raised 4.7 billion. And he is now a shareholder of Silvergate. He just bought a slice of Silvergate bank, uh -oh. which I don't know if you're familiar with Silvergate <laughs> bank, but yeah. So he moved to Hong Kong when he was 18. Mm -hmm. He got hired by a company because he made like the, one of the first, world of warcraft item online stores where people could buy and sell uh on yeah world, world of warcraft items uh and then he tried to i guess he had loads of money or something so he tried to buy a flat in hong kong and then he had such a terrible experience that he was like i'm going to start my own real estate agency uh and then that got bought by a, a, a family an expat family in hong kong that was already running a property management business they bought it and then they eventually bought him out, but I've met him a couple of times. Um, yeah. Anyway, so that's how I got into real estate. I worked there for three years. Then I started my own agency because I thought they were like VC venture backed. And I thought that I wanted to run a small, tight, high quality team. And they just wanted me to add headcount to my team. And I was like, no. So I left to start my own agency to kick their ass, realize that, you know, it's very hard to fight against someone who has millions of dollars of VC capital when it's just me. Um, so then, with someone I met, we found this opportunity to buy this business, which was a property agency and property management business. Uh, and it basically it wasn't <clears throat> because of the experience. So my business partner had also, he also had experience in buying, renovating and flipping or renting out apartments in Hong Kong. So with both of our experience, we saw this business was basically just really badly run. It was really simple. They were running it like it was 1980. Like all the payments were done by check. 
There was no remote access. They didn't have like Gmail, Google Workspace or you know, Microsoft Office 365, they were still running a server, a physical server in the office where email, you could only access your email if you went to the office, like all the computers were old, all the staff had been there for 15 to 20 years and didn't know how to use technology and were, weren't trained properly in like the most effective ways of doing things. So we kind of just came in, we basically replaced half of the staff or more just with better systems and processes. And obviously the revenue, we had clients, so the revenue was there. The problem was the operating expenses were way too high. So we just cut the operating expenses through effective systems processes, hired a couple of new people uh, who we could train to do things the new way uh, and turned you know, a, basically a dead business into a very profitable one. Uh, but then my business partner and I sort of, uh, he diverged from where we had agreed to take the business, which was it wasn't so big that we could, it was worth, and it couldn't grow to the point where it was worth both of us spending our full time working there. Uh, but he had other ideas. He wanted to try and grow it and work there. And I was leaving because we were supposed to just let the business run by, be run by the employees uh, and move on to other things. We, I think we wanted to do that more times, find other businesses that were really badly run and just come in and run them properly. With technology. Of all things. I mean, if you call Google Workspace technology, yes, and, <laughs> and online banking technology, then yes, I guess you could say. But, we, you know, it wasn't anything. It's not like we were using AI or anything. It's like we use MailChimp instead of like BCCing everyone into an email manually or something. That's nuts, isn't it? How far yeah. behind people but, are. And there's in, a lot in of a country like, yeah, But like in a country like Hong Kong, you think it's the cutting edge. You know, it, it it speaks to the it speaks to the moat that some of these businesses have. It's like banking, right? How often do you switch banks? Almost never. I mean, maybe Bitcoiners maybe do, right? But most people like bank with Barclays for thirty years. Does Barclays really have to like change much? Not really. They don't have an incentive to. They can keep doing things the way they've always done them. Change is hard, right? It's more work than just the status quo. Excuse me. Um, so. So yeah, so like it speaks to the moat. These guys, the only reason they are going bankrupt is because the owner didn't care about the business and the staff don't have a profit motive. They're just trying to like make their, they knew it was going under. So they're like, we're just trying to sit here and get paid as long as possible until we, and they were hoping to be all fired because they'd been there for so long, they get severance pay, which is we had to eat all of that when we, uh, when we bought the business. But it was still, you know, it was a cut. There's very, there's very rarely positive surprises to the upside on these types of things. There's normally only positive, you know, the, the last owner has made sure he's extracted everything positive about the business before he leaves usually, right? Um, so especially in a business that's neglected. Uh, so there's only positive, there's only negative surprises. So we had a couple of negative surprises, but we still, the, the, the base of clients and the switching cost of those clients like was so high for them that I guess we still had a base that was strong enough to have good, decent revenue uh, and, and, you know, be able to turn it around and, and make some profit out of it. But yeah, I've exited now. Uh, we were, there was a whole lawsuit and it was like two years Ooh. of, yeah, not fun. So whilst I was like Bitcoining, I was also lawsuiting. Man, and was it your Bitcoining that drove a wedge between you and your business partner? No, 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 uh, no, it wasn't. It was just the, 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 uh, the change in him wanting to, operate the business and try to grow it. You know, essentially I was like, my view was the business isn't worth reinvesting cash flow into. Let's take that cash to, for ourselves. 
and do whatever, you know, if we find another business we want to buy even better, like the, the value we made was like basically so it's not like you it. wanted to hone into Bitcoin and that was, uh, the, the, the no, cause of... this all started happening before I was, uh, before I was like that much, I had right. sold everything and I, I was in the process of like selling stuff and buying Bitcoin. Um, but I wasn't like, I've got to put that money was for living basically. Cause my wife and I were moving to Scotland with no jobs off the back of that. I own this business that makes profit and that I can manage remotely. Right. Cause employees are doing the day-to-day -day stuff. That money was going to be for my wife and I to live. I was going to learn to, uh, to write code. This was before Bitcoin. Mm. The coding thing was like, I, I want to be able to, I saw code as leverage media and code is leverage, right? Like you can reach millions of people with one conversation rather than like this conversation without media, it's just you and I talking, but by you pressing record and sharing it with the world now, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people can listen to it and get some value out of it. Right. So that's massive leverage by with using a simple tool code is the same, right? It's speech in a different format that you create, you can basically create software with it that then millions of people can use. Um, so I wanted to move from real estate is very much one-to-one Unless you own, if you own a company, it's it's sort of, I guess, like human capital, right? You have other people working, doing your job, not your job, but working for the company, right? Whereas like code, the work is done through the distribution via technology, by, you know, either podcasting or video YouTube or, um, or by releasing software and letting people download it on their computers. So I wanted to move to a, like a higher leverage type of activity. And I saw code, I was like coding or media. I was going to maybe do like YouTube vlogs or something. You know, I had, I had the, the business, so I didn't have to worry about making money today. Eventually, obviously, yes. Um, but that got, I got rug pulled on that. Literally, after my wife quit her job, we were moving. We bought a house, so we had to do it anyway. Um, what, was so, the, yeah. what, what kind of like kicked off the idea of leaving Hong Kong and why Scotland? So my wife is Scottish, and the, okay. what kicked off leaving Hong Kong was... Um, I wanted to like, once you've been in a career for 10 years, and especially if you own a business where other people are, you know, you have the human capital, other people are running it and you don't have to do that much. Uh, you know, this is after the, we were finishing the turnaround. Um, it's very easy to like, and I had like all my friends, you know, my lifetime friends are all there. I just felt like I was just socializing all the time. I was doing like, you know, going out drinking and going to a football game and just doing the same thing over and over and over. And my wife, so I didn't like that because I was like, I still want to, I want to learn to code. I, I was curious. I still want to do shit, but I was just pulled by like the lowest hanging fruit thing, just like going to meet up with friends or whatever. And I found it very hard to concentrate. So I thought by moving away and isolating myself from anyone that I know, I might be able to have a bit more space in my life to do other stuff. Uh, and also we wanted to start a family. Hong Kong is super expensive. Uh, we the, the money that we would make from the business profits would go a much longer way in Scotland than it would in Hong Kong. Uh, and also COVID, like Hong Kong, the, so the protests, China crackdown, and also the, the, the way they were treating COVID there was just crazy. Um, and so we felt like it was a good time. There was lots of reasons to leave. And so that's what we, that's why we went for it. And yeah, Scotland it, is just because we literally, because we didn't have, we could be sort of location independent because we didn't have to be anywhere for a job. We kind of just looked at real estate online and was like, where can we buy a place to live without financially straining ourselves? 
uh, uh, like we saw this place in Sterling. That's where my wife is from originally anyway. Uh, and so we just bought it. We bought it without looking at it. We bought it off just an online listing. Her step granny went to see it. Uh, and then I went to get the keys and my wife didn't see it until we actually moved to Scotland. And like the first day we walked into the apartment to live there was the first time she saw it. Uh, there's another wonderful little irony there. We've got a Bitcoiner living in Sterling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although no longer, no longer. Oh, there's, there's more. Yeah. So the decision to move to Scotland was made before I got into Bitcoin. Um, Hong Kong and Hong Kong is like, uh, Hong Kong has a very different tax regime. Hong Kong is one of those places like has a very, very friend, business friendly and even pers personally friendly tax regime. So there's no capital gains tax in Hong Kong. I was able to buy stocks and shares and buy Bitcoin at the time and like, you know, pay my friends and not have to worry about capital gains tax or anything. Uh, that hadn't, when, when we moved to Scotland, I wasn't thinking about that. I wasn't thinking about the Bitcoin side of things because I wasn't really into it yet. So as soon as I realized like Bitcoin is something huge, it's going to be a huge part of my, I was obsessed with it. I was like, oh, this Scotland thing might not work just from a tax perspective, right? I want to be able to freely spend my Bitcoin without having to report gains and losses and like deal with all that crap. So uh, the Isle of, my, my wife says, I don't recall this, but my wife says that before we even left Hong Kong, I was already talking about the Isle of Man as a good cross between UK and Hong Kong in the sense that it has a very similar tax regime to Hong Kong, but we get the lifestyle that we were looking for in the UK. So um, obviously I had to, we we moved, we bought this place and I had to figure out a, a way. First, I had to get this lawsuit and this business partnership thing sorted out, which I'm now thankfully out of. Uh, so once there was a sort of, I could see an end to that, we basically decided, we came to visit the Isle of Man in May and we decided that we wanted to, we were going to give it a shot moving here. You, you, you're an energetic young man. Holy shit. Uh, I'm not that young though. That's the crazy thing. <laughs> I'm in my mid thirties. I mean, I'm not like a spring chicken. I'm not super old either, but you know, I'm getting, right. I'm getting to the middle age. Right. So did you then sell the house in Scotland and then yeah. pack everything up and I live met. Wow. I turbo, I turbo sold the top of the UK real estate. Literally I sold my house like weeks, maybe a week or two before this whole, remember the bank of England started printing money because the pension funds were going under because of Liz Trust. <clears throat> it was literally like a few weeks before the Liz Trust thing literally before uh you know rates were sort of turbocharging up and now like you know all the headlines are like real estate in, in the uk is going to go down you know for the next two three years or whatever yeah we sold at a decent chunk of profit from when we bought we also bought in october november 2020 so that was like peak ish mm -hmm. covid panic mm -hmm. so i don't know how i don't know you know how much real estate was moving back then but I, i'm assuming we got a good deal um and then sold at the top and then it's great. And now I'm renting. Yeah. I was course. in real estate. I, I think real estate is a shit coin. Right. I was going to say, of course you're renting because yeah. you want to stack as many sets as you can. Well, you know what? I, I, I'm a huge fan of like, somebody said this on Twitter the other day. It was like, don't buy it unless you can afford it twice. Mm -hmm. And usually like a house is a humongous lifetime financial burden, right? You're, you're spending 10 times your annual salary on this place to live. And I understand renting also costs money. Um, 
But for our particular scenario, like the, the house in Scotland made sense because it was it was affordable for us. It was a it was a sensible financial commitment. We weren't burdening ourselves massively. Like we didn't buy it wasn't a house. It was a flat. Um, so we bought something we could afford, like the down payment with no issues. <clears throat> excuse me, and and the the monthly payment. Like you know, we could basically work like at a Tesco checkout. You know, no disrespect, but like it was that affordable, right? Um, so. Uh, so yeah, but now we rent, uh, particularly because we just moved to the Isle of Man. We don't, you know, we want to test it out before we potentially settle in somewhere. I want to be sure that like the next place I buy somewhere, like one that I can comfortably afford somewhere that I want to live. And also that I want to stay in that place for 10 years. Cause I don't want to move, you know, three moves in 14 months is a lot. It truly is mate. And the other thing as well for, for people listening that are you know, perhaps stuck between the idea of. Maybe they're a fresh Bitcoiner and they're trying to stack as much as they can, or they're trying to um, buy themselves uh, that property. That down payment is generally people's life savings at that point. And it's yeah. just a down payment. So you could take that down payment, that life savings, set up a DCA plan, whatever it is, 500 quid a month or, you know, I don't know, pull a number out of your bum. It doesn't matter. But you, you are going to preserve and grow that capital rather than take on financial burden as you said like with with, um, with the mortgage and the, the the house hanging over your head and i remember as well 2020 when you, just before you were buying i think that's during covid um in air quotes that's when they come out with a stamp duty scheme right that they stopped they they halted stamp duty on properties in the uk so you didn't have to pay that extra x amount of percentage on the purchase and that just really fueled the economy Again, in air quotes, fueled the economy yeah. and made the uh, the housing markets look um, look really good. Which uh, it was all just um, a bubble. But Lauren, Lauren's here, and she's got to ask you a question very, very quickly. Oh, awesome! Uh, I've been waiting for this. Hang on a second. I've got to get the uh, the, the earpiece out and pass it across. Um, and here you go. So, hey, Lauren. Well, Lauren, wait into the mic. Right. So my question is, uh, why do you call yourself Gandalf? Why do I call myself Gandalf? So <clears throat> uh, I, I mentioned brief, uh, briefly before, so when I joined Bitcoin Twitter, there was this character called Crypto Cobain that I followed. Uh, and when I wanted to start tweeting about Bitcoin, I wanted to do it under a sort of a pseudonymous identity. And I... Just thinking about like either real life celebrities or you know famous fictional characters, I always like wizards and like all. I always think like wizards are the most powerful fictional characters in any story, and so I liked, uh, I liked Gandalf from Lord of the Rings, so I picked Bitcoin Gandalf. I think actually, uh, it, like came as a pair. My friend was like, "Oh, you should make Fiat Sar." I think it was like maybe originally the idea was like my friend was like, "You should make Fiat Saruman to like troll on Bitcoin," uh, and I was like, "Oh, Bitcoin Gandalf." They're like the good and the evil wizards. Um, so that's why. Oh, that sounds cool. Wait, do you know Harry Potter? This yeah, so I could have gone Dumbledore. <laughs> I could have gone Dumbledore. I think uh, I think Gandalf would beat Dumbledore in a fight there. You think? Gandalf seems to be more like he's more gritty. Dumbledore is more like uh, he, he doesn't get his hands dirty. I guess, yeah. This went wizard very quickly. I'm out of my depth. <laughs> it went from talking about Bitcoin stuff to wizards. 
absolutely. Did Did you have any more questions for um, Gandalf? No. No. Yeah. Anyways, bye. Thank you. Thanks, Lauren. Take care. Yeah, you too. You were let off the hook there. I always get asked why Gandalf and people seem to be very interested. I need to come up with a better story for it because my story is, you know, I think people expect me to be like a, like a Lord of the Rings nerd or, but I'm not. So, yeah. Well, there you go. You, you've, you've made yourself a name. All right, mate. So Isle of Man, you, you turn yep. up, um, brains come into the story somewhere. You've managed to score yourself. You've managed to do what so many plebs listening to this show are dying to do. And that is escape a fiat job and get yourself yeah. a bitcoin job how does one go about doing that how did you do it and what's your tips for other people that are out there listening to this who wants to do it you have to free yourself financially i think um yeah i think that's unless you unless you're one of those people that's like really um gritty and you can perhaps work a job and then come home after work and put in like another full day's shift doing something else I'm not like that. When I become obsessed with something, that's all I can think about. It's all I can focus on. And I have to do that thing at basically perhaps even too much cost, but at all costs. Right. So um I had the I had the the fortune and the foresight to know that I before Bitcoin, just full stop, that the way to become free was to have some sort of income stream that was that was detached from my time, right? Uh, so that was that's where the business stuff came in. Um, I, I the, the buying the business was like concerted. I want to get out of working in real estate, but I know real estate, so I can buy a business in real estate that works for me, and then that frees up my time to then go do the next thing, which was going to be software development. Um, so I managed to spend six months, twelve hours a day, listening to podcasts, reading books watching videos and interacting on Bitcoin Twitter. And really the thing that made the most, well, it's a combination, right? Because the knowledge was very important. So being able to study Bitcoin and understand it. But the thing that's really changed everything was Twitter. A Twitter is like a LinkedIn for Bitcoiners, right? So the reason we know each other is from Twitter. Mm -hmm. uh, the, reason I, the reason I have anything right now in my life, other like big that is that is related professionally is because of Twitter. Yep. So it's really, yeah, you have to you have to find a way to put in the time to I think I think what like showing your work in public is really important. So I've done nothing like I did get interviewed at Brains, but I didn't really get interviewed at, at Coin Corner. I just went for a couple of meals with Danny and Zach because they already know. I don't have to prove to them I understand what's necessary to do a certain job because they know from my tweets that I, what I know, right? So I think showing, if you want to get a job in, or if you want to move from like a fiat job to a Bitcoin job, you have to show some value. Like you can bring something to the table wherever it is that you might want to work. I didn't even, I was just doing it for fun and like, you know, waiting for, I was in this like six month transitionary period. And I just thought, you know, I, I'm going to tweet a lot because I enjoyed it. Basically, it wasn't like a strategy, but it just turns out that that, yeah, people saw that. Um, I built a following. Well, I, I don't mean like a people follow. I mean, like literally my follower account went up. So I was reaching more people with my tweets and, and people recognized the name. Uh, and I saw this, I was in bed at like midnight scrolling Twitter on my iPad. And I saw that the head of business development at Brains had posted that they were looking for like a social media. So 
Brains was looking for a social media Padawan, like an entry level position, just somebody to come in and like interact with people on Twitter from the Brains account. So because that's all I'd been doing anyway from my own account, I got them, I, I tweeted at Max and Stacy whilst I was in the process of doing interviews, I tweeted at Max and Stacy as that I think it was maybe might've been China mining ban. Anyway, something was going on with mining and they were like, who should we have on from the mining world? And I tweeted at them saying they should have the brains co-founders on. And they ended up having the brains co-founders on because of that tweet. So that helped during the interview process. I was like, see, I helped you guys get uh, co-founders <laughs> of brains on orange pill pod. Um, and they'd seen, I was already doing what they needed from that role. So I got the job at brains. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I went from like owning a business to being like the bottom rung entry level starting again position. Right. Um, so I think you also have to be willing to start again from scratch. It's not easy. Um, but if you love the thing, it is actually not bad. Yeah. Did it, did it ever feel like work? No, there's none of this feels like work. This is insane. Like <laughs> I just get to basically like, yeah, it's, it's, I get to scratch my itch and somehow that also is like a job. So for those people listening that don't know who brains are or what they do, why don't you do the shield thing and make sure people are up to speed on, you know, what the company are all about? Yeah. So uh, brains is a Bitcoin mining software tools company. So uh, we own and operate brains pool, formerly known as slush pool. So it's probably, it's the oldest uh, Bitcoin mining pool. So most people know that brand even outside of Bitcoin. Some people have heard of slush pool before. Uh, so we op operate that. And then we also have a bunch of other soft, uh, mining software tools. The other biggest one that probably people have heard of is Brains OS Plus, which is uh, basically a, an operating system for a Bitcoin mining computer. Uh, so Bitcoin mining computers ship with a stock operating system. Like when you buy a Windows laptop, you have Windows on it. When you buy a Mac laptop, you have Mac on it. Brains makes an alternative operating system for your miner that can optimize the amount of hash rate you get per the energy consumed. So the the one of the basic sort of things that affect the economics of mining is how much hash rate can you get out for the energy cost you put into the machine. Uh, so obviously the more hash rate you can get for the same energy cost, the, the higher your profit margin and Brains helps you get more hash rate for the same amount of power consumption versus stock firmware. You're basically mining more Bitcoins for the same cost with brains versus stock firmware. And you can flash that firmware onto an existing machine that is not running brains OS, right? Correct. We support a bunch of different um, machines. All and I know that because I did it. And thank you very much to the person that talked me through that because anyone that has listened to this show for any length of time knows I'm not some kind of techie guru you know, I struggled through building a node and get it connected and, and all of that kind of thing. And then two mining machines, S9s turn up on the doorstep and you're like, holy shit, but how do I do this now? Uh, and you, yeah, big shout out to to the Brains team uh, who you put me in touch with the, the right people. They took you through it. Yeah. And before you know it, you've got the latest Brains OS Plus software flashed onto the machine all doing this in your own living room, just following some basic prompts on a on a shared screen Zoom call, and you're away. You're good to go. Yeah, well, I'm glad you had a good experience. I think we take we take a lot of pride in making sure that not only are the tools good, but the support for the tools are good as well. Because obviously, we also get a lot of people who are trying mining for the first time, and 
brains pool seems to be like the pleb pool. So a lot of people, if you're just like, you know, a pleb with an S9, you go on Twitter and say like, what should I do? And people are like, brain, you know, run brains. Um, so it's important for that type of, of uh, user to have decent support. Yeah, excellent. All right, Coin Corner. How did that come about? What's, what's going corner. on? Yeah, so, so as I mentioned with this whole Isle of Man potential move thing, um, I think it was probably following Danny or Molly on Twitter back then that brought to my attention what Isle of Man was. I don't know if I'd really heard of it before, probably, but anyway. Um, so they were always there sort of conjoined with the Isle of Man. Like if I ever moved to the Isle of Man, I get to hang out with Bitcoiners at the very least, but potentially also work um, with them. So I think they'd posted like another entry level job. I think it was like a customer service role or something. And I emailed them about it. It wasn't quite right for me, um, but they were like, oh, you want to maybe work here or like move to the Isle of Man? And I was like, yeah, that's that's what I'm working towards. Uh, so we ended up meeting a few times. Met I met Zach and Danny. Zach is the CTO. Danny is the CEO and co-founder. Met them in Miami. We had a long dinner and just, chat, just chatted. Um, I, at the time I was still, so I'd worked, I worked at Lit for like six months at BTC times as well. When I was in El Salvador last year, Samson Mao reached out to me and was like, I need someone to help me restart BTC times. So I did that for six months. Um, but you know, all of this is like straying me away from what I still want to, I still wanted to learn to code. Right. So I left that to like, I'm going to go focus on code, try and focus on, I am still doing brains, but the rest of the time, uh, try to focus on coding. Then this opportunity with uh, Coin Corner came up, uh, which is uh, I'm basically helping them uh, with the at the moment with the setup of the Dubai operations. So for people who haven't heard, uh, Coin Corner is doing a joint venture with Seed Group, which is the family office of one of the Dubai royal family members, um, and we're going to be opening up Coin Corner to the Middle East and North Africa, focusing first on Dubai. Um, so I'm sort of leading that and we're just getting started with, uh, regulatory approval basically is what is the first step. So getting acquainted with our partners with seed group, uh, getting familiar with the Dubai market, just business etiquette there, you know, companies there trying to decide who we're going to, uh, be targeting first. Uh, and then once we get the regulatory approval, you know, full steam ahead, uh, but it's focused on the payment side. Uh, we will, yeah, obviously there will be like the selling, buying and selling Bitcoin, uh, but I'm more focused on, uh, getting merchants, merchant adoption. Yeah. I had Danny on the show. This will probably air just a little bit after, um, after his interview. Uh, and we did do a, a deep dive into that and it sounds very, very exciting. And it sounds, well, I know for a fact, there's going to be a few roles opening up for plebs in Dubai, right? So keep a very, very close eye on coin corner. And what's going on? And follow Gandalf, because you're going to be the man on the spot, right? Yeah, we're, so we're looking. I think we're looking for somebody to join the business development team at the moment. I'm not sure if that position has been filled, but I think that's not for Dubai. That's just for the rest of the world. So we have we're in El Salvador now. Uh, we focus a lot on Europe, UK, Isle of Man, merchant adoption. So um, I think we have a role there. And yes, we plan to hire in Dubai. And for those that are confused, I do work at Brains and at Coin Corner. So I do both. I'm working part-time at both. My role at Brains was always like a, a contract hourly role. So just basically when there's work that needs to be done, it gets done. When there's no work to be done, then I have free time. Um, and that free time is now filled by a part-time position whilst we set up everything at Coin Corner. 
mate, is so awesome that you've fallen into these roles and freed yourself from any kind of fiat uh, dependency. What what can you say about living on the Isle of Man? Because I know a lot of the plebs living in the UK and perhaps even those living in European countries might be taking a sideward glance of, you know, what, what actually what's going on over there because there's zero capital gains tax, um, you know, income tax is a lot lower than anywhere else in, in Europe. Besides perhaps Malta, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure, or Gibraltar. Uh, what's the landscape like? What's what's it been like living there? What have you found to be great? What have you found to be challenging? Yeah, I mean, I'll uh, asterisk everything I'm about to say with everyone. No one should move somewhere because somebody else has done it. You should make sure that it's right for you. You know, what I think is heaven, someone else might think is hell. So mm -hmm. make sure it's right for you. But um, I personally, I love it here. Uh, I, I came from Hong Kong, which is like a place, for example, weather-wise, it's hot, steamy, sweaty, like at nine months out of the year. Uh, so I lived that life for 25 years. I want the cold. I want to be able to wear like a hoodie every day and and not sweat. So I like the weather. The the um obviously the getting dark at 3 p.m. or whatever that's that's hard to deal with. But you not everywhere is perfect. Uh, obviously, yeah, in terms of tax regime, it's fantastic to be able to just buy Bitcoin, spend Bitcoin, and not have to think about whether I need to report it or not report it. You know, if you're like if you're a pleb hourly DCAing and buying coffees and stuff with your Bitcoin, how are you supposed to keep track of that? Like, I, I don't understand how is, and how is the government supposed to enforce any sort of, like, there's no way that anyone is accurately, accurately reporting an hourly DCA and spending Bitcoin all the time. They're just reporting something. Right. So it's all like theater. It's all tax reporting theater at the end of the day. So I'm like, I don't want to participate. Life's too short to be spending time doing that sort of stuff. Right. And I also, I really think that we all need to vote with our feet. If we want something to change, I don't think that you stay there and vote for the right person and things magically change, right? Good luck trying to get the UK to get rid of capital gains tax. I don't think that's ever going to happen. I think taxes only ever go up, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I, I like the fact that, you know, if we all voted with our feet, then the countries that where people are leaving in droves would change. Right. And you see this all the time, but like El Salvador, they want to attract, they need something. So they want to attract people, right? They need something. So they're going to make the environment as friendly as possible to attract those kind of people. The UK is not making the environment friendly for anyone to move to. And most countries aren't, to be fair, right? Um, they rely on the fact that people have grown up there, live there. They're very, you know, they're deep roots there. And they're basically willing to put up with everything because like they can't be bothered to move or whatever. So. I'm a big fan of yeah, voting with your feet, move to where you're treated the best. And I think that's how you enact change in the world. The Isle of Man is desperate for people to come move here. Uh, there's like 40% of the population I think is over 65. So we have like a super aging population. They're hoping to increase the population from 85,000 to 110,000. So they're going to make it very easy. It's easy. I've set up a company. It's easy to set up a company. Uh, if you can find a job that's like related to what you do, it's easy to get a visa. It's easy to get a work permit. Uh, if you have a family, it's brilliant. You know, you've got countryside. It's not, you know, it's not, there's not a lot of people around. It's not busy. A uh, lot of nature. Uh, you can, you know, real estate's not super expensive. So you can get a decent place for you, for you and your family to live. Uh, you can eat local produce and, you know, have time to spend. I, besides the coin corner team, 
you know, most of my social interactions are like this, like they're on Twitter, you know, other than with my family. So it's a lot of time with the family. It's a lot of time spent uh, focused on whatever it is you want. There's not, not a lot of things pulling your attention. So you can, you know, you can spend time focused on what you want to, on what you want to do. And yeah, the tax regime is beautiful. You feel like you're paying a fair share for what you're getting back. You feel like you're getting some value, right? Um, I can run through for, for, for people who are considering, <clears throat> excuse me, for people who are considering moving here, I can run through what the tax regime is and, you know, asterisk, I'm not a tax lawyer, blah, 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 blah. But um, so personal tax, there's only two bands, 10 and 20%. Uh, you have a tax-free allowance, which is like 13 and a half or 14 something and or 28,000 pounds. If you declare with your wife, she doesn't work, you get her tax allowance. So mm -hmm. first 28 grand is tax-free. Then the next 13 grand is 10%. Anything above that is 20% until 250 grand. You don't pay any tax above 250 grand earnings. So if you like make a ton of money, you don't pay, um, you don't pay taxes above that. No capital gains tax. No inheritance tax. That was a big one for me and and my wife. Hmm. So, you know, we moved from Hong Kong where there's no inheritance tax to the UK, where if we suddenly died, the state takes half of our money and my daughter, who's one, uh, is left to fend for herself, basically. Um, so no inheritance tax, no gift tax. You know, I can give money to my family members without having them having to pay tax on it or whatever. You know, I can just move. I can give money to whoever I want for whatever reason I want without them having this, the government getting in the middle and taking a little slice for, or a big slice for themselves. Um, and, you know, the government has money. There's public services here. Things work. There's police, there's fire stations, there's doctors, and we pay far less tax than, than the UK does. And, and from what I understand, like the politicians here aren't career politicians. It's like the local farmer is the, you know, MP or whatever it's called here. Uh, so uh, that's also a refreshing change. And farming on the island, you've got plenty of cattle. Fresh of cattle, sheep. Yeah. yeah, you can go to the app. You don't even have to go to like a farmer's market. You can go to the supermarket and they sell meat from local farms. Right. And I'm shop at a local, mostly at a local supermarket chain from the Isle of Man as well. Pubs? I don't drink that much. I only drink my, my like, my holidays are conferences. Right. Yeah. There's pubs, there. there's, say, pubs there's places. I, I've seen you out in bars till like 2 a.m. <laughs> yeah. That's so that's when uh, in conferences, I let loose at right. home. I've had one drink since Lugano. No, I've way. had one beer since Lugano. Wow. Yeah. And I, it, don't, I mean, I wake up, I go on my computer, I spend time with my family, and then I go to sleep. You're not hanging out with the Coin Corner crew, and because fast bitcoins are there as well, right? So that's uh, we do, do, we do a weekly we do a weekly lunch. So if right. that falls on a day where I'm in the office, I live like half an hour away from the mm -hmm. from Douglas. There's an hour return trip. Um, if you but if so if you're drinking, you have to take a bus. That's an mm -hmm. hour each way. So I just don't yeah I don't don't drink that much, but I All do right. yeah I do uh, I do let loose at conferences, which is great fun. We have, a, we have a I have a daughter, so she goes to bed at 6.30 p.m. Right. Yeah, so it's not... So, not I wouldn't I would, move here if I was like a single young guy, unless you are, <laughs> you know, unless you like don't drink and don't like dating, maybe. So Fast Bitcoins are on the island as well, and they have a brick and mortar office. This is a good thing about Isle of Man. For those plebs that don't want to work remotely, per se, they want to be around Bitcoiners, you have... 
dedicated to dedicated Bitcoin only companies on the Isle of Man, where you can go into the office and work if you choose. I'm sure you can work with you have to. Too. You have uh, to coin go. corner, coin corner. Well, I mean, everyone. Yeah, it's it's an office based job. There's no right. remote working. Um, so you have to go to the office. And right. there is definitely, yeah, I think those, the, the office versus remote thing is again, one of those things that I think it's, there are definite, some definite like objective goods and bads about each one. And there's also the subjective, some people prefer the office, some people prefer the remote. Mm -hmm. I'm a, I'm a, I think, so I hadn't tried, I hadn't worked in an office for like two years. We had an office at my company and I did go to the office, but then SARS happened, uh, COVID happened and we were working from home. And my previous job as a real estate agent was completely, I could do whatever I want, work from wherever I wanted. So I would go to the office sometimes and sometimes not. I like the optionality of doing either. Sometimes it's good to go to the office and talk to people. Sometimes it's good to just like put your head down and do some work. When you, I, I feel like if it's like meetings, chatting, you want some like serendipitous thing to happen, the office is great. If you want to do some work, the office is not good. Mm -hmm. Is my opinion. Yeah, mm -hmm. I like doing work on my own at home, nobody coming to talk to me, et cetera. Excellent. So you, yeah. there, there is a good bunch of people there and some good opportunities there as well. So, yeah. you know, nice shill, mate. Nice shill. Yeah. Are you thinking about it? I have thought about it in the past. Uh, I am being drawn more towards Madeira at the yeah. moment uh, because um, just being close to what's going on there with the Free Madeira organization and uh, having met the president and, you know, listened uh, to many of the... Um, initiatives that uh, are being put forward there it's exciting uh, so uh, it's not as attractive i don't think from a, a tax perspective uh if other plebs are out there weighing up options of where to go but it certainly wins hands down on a weather front and i'm all about the oh, weather. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, is my enough. wife <laughs> fair. fair enough fair enough i think yeah my biggest i i completely understand that i think the 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 question i have about that is and maybe you can tell me I feel like at any point the Portuguese government can rug everyone on the capital gains on crypto thing or on Bitcoin, and uh, and then a lot of the value prop from the on the Bitcoin side of things and the adoption as a you know uh, for payments sort of goes out the window. Mm -hmm. Obviously, like you know, there's other factors like you said, weather, and there's like other stuff going on there. But just from the Bitcoin side of things, yeah, um, that's what I would be afraid of. You could you you could certainly get rugged, uh, and yeah. then you know there was that it went around Twitter about six weeks ago. The, I mean, what the the actual like wording of the whole thing is this is a, uh, a you know it, it's a it's a topic that they're going to bring up in next year's election debates or something before they that they cast all the votes. So it hasn't happened yet. Who knows? You can get rugged on it. And I guess if you get rugged on it, like you say, you vote with your feet, you're gone again. Mm, yeah. That's the beauty of being a Bitcoiner and having freedom money. Uh, have you, um, have you, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. Uh, have you thought about doing two places, like doing Isle of Man and Madeira or? Because you yes. could just leave here the wind. Your kids are all like homeschooled, right? Yep. So you don't have to be anywhere for, for a school. Because no. we've thought about this as well. My wife really misses Scotland. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, well, at some point you can just go spend some time in Scotland, like an extended period in Scotland. Um, but she wants to send our kids to actual school. Uh, so we wouldn't be able to do that. 
out of, outside of school holidays, but I imagine that you potentially could, it makes life a bit more complicated with the house, you know, having a, a, maybe one fixed house and one place where you just go stay like an Airbnb or whatever, but you could perfectly just go there for the summer and stay here. Sorry, go there for the winter and stay here in the summer, right? And, be, and make sure you stay here for long enough that you're considered a resident here for tax purposes yeah. and all that. So you're domiciled in air quotes, uh, yeah. you know, in, in the low tax. Yes, have. And it's always always a, uh, a thought in my mind. Uh, and we we have a footprint in Asia as well uh, with a, a a property that I bought like 16 years ago in, in Koh Samui in Thailand, which could ah, also nice. be used as uh, as wintering option. Amazing. Uh, and, it, and it's that place that we used um, on the, the home swap site lovehomeswap.com unofficial shill uh where you know we 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 home swapped our way around the world for two and a half years with with the four kids so amazing there's 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 different ways you can leverage uh a um a property or a situation or an asset whatever it is as we're finding with bitcoin right there's all of these at the moment most of them have turned out to be scammy but one day someone to get it correct and you will be able to do some kind of collateralized lending or borrowing. Hoddle Hoddle, you know, that they've launched their lending platform. Um, mm. You were in Riga. I'm, I'm, I remember hanging yep. out with you in Riga. Uh, that, that's where they announced it. And that's slowly picking up steam. So we'll see. We'll, we'll, you know, keep. I keep say that because I would love to have you here. So I'm like trying to figure out yeah. a way where you can get, <laughs> you know, Madeira and we can have you in the Isle of Man. Then we just once we've got our private jets, mate. This is like our seven eight seven Dreamliners, like yeah. like your man over in Hong Kong. Uh, then then we'll all be good. We'll all be good. We'll, we'll let we'll let the all the crypto guys, you know, think they're really rich, buy private jets, then go bankrupt because they're shit coining, and then we'll pick up their jets from them at Sats on the dollar. Absolutely, exactly that. Sats on the Bitcoin. All right, mate. Let's let's finish it up with. If you had one last orange pill to give to somebody, who would you give it to and why? I think I would just go practical in the, I would go practical in like the sense of, I would give it to the person who had the biggest impact in, in terms of, you know, creating more adoption. So it would probably be the president of the US to, you know, I'm not a fan of, I'm not a fan of like, forced use but perhaps do something like el salvador has done where they give you the option of using bitcoin if you want to um so so you're not forced to use it but it's there and it legitimizes you know that the you know the country with the world reserve currency saying we're now going to use bitcoin uh you know i guess this had just brought a thought to my head and tell me what you think about this what if a country just said like there is no legal tender you can use whatever you want but we like Bitcoin the best, right? That's not forced use. You can still have the dollar and stuff, but then nobody's making it. Nobody's like printing it. Nobody's in charge of making the dollar. So it would probably just die out. Um, it'd be interesting to see what would happen in that case. But yeah, I'm just thinking, I think the US saying like, we're going to use Bitcoin as one of our, uh, one of our currencies uh, would be obviously massive for adoption or like maybe the middle, like OPEC, using it right. to price oil something huge that would be that would be where i would give my orange bill which coin corner could be very much a part of if everything goes nicely in dubai yeah yeah we have to we have to investigate what you know what the deal is with that but it would yeah, something like that it ha where there's just massive impact from like 
one place that just trickles down to everything in society. So that's where I would, that's where I would drop it. Very cool shout, mate. All right. Well, how can people reach you? And if there's anybody out there listening that wants to reach out and, and talk about getting a job somewhere, uh, I'm sure you'd be more than open to, to helping them and, and lending them an ear. What's the best way to contact you and, and how might someone be able to add value to you? Yeah, people can reach out to me just through Twitter. That's, that's the best. I'm always on Twitter. So that's the best place to keep up with what I'm doing. And also DM, Twitter DMs are a bit of a, a sewer, but I'd normally see most DMs. And if I don't reply, just but you know, pester me until I do. Uh, so Twitter is Twitter's the best place. Uh, how can someone add value to me? Take control of your life, become free enough that you can get a job and come contribute to the Bitcoin space. Look, that's how you can add value to something that I care about. Not necessarily me. I'm good um, on, you know, I don't need anything from anyone at the moment, but I would love for more people to get into the Bitcoin space. So if you want to do something for me, do it for yourself and then come work on Bitcoin if that's what you love. Yeah. That's exactly how it works. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, mate. It's been great to, uh, to hang out and uh, get to do this episode. And I look forward to seeing you at the next conference and buying you a bit. Thanks for having me, mate. It's been good. See ya. Well, there you go, guys. There's the rally cry. There's your boy Gandalf laying it all out there. He's so right. We need so many more people to step up and bring their energy and their talent to this Bitcoin community, to this push, to this effort, to this grassroots movement. And there are so many people that are on the teetering edge of freeing themselves from, from their fiat existence. It's not so much about I was having a conversation today, actually, with Dushan about this. Uh, it's so difficult to wake up the sleepwalkers. But there are so many of us out there that are still lurking in the shadows. You've taken the orange pill. You've seen the difference it's made to you, to your family. You want to try and educate other people, but something's blocking you. Unblock yourself. We need you. Join Orange Pill App. See if there's someone close to you where you can go and brainstorm together. It's great to brainstorm in DMs and whatever else, but go and meet someone face-to-face -face and build something within your community. We had Coach Carbon on very recently. He managed to help, along, along with Coin Corner, uh, Orange Pill Oxford City, his, his local football team, into accepting Bitcoin. And now they're, there's two to 400 people each week a touch point every time they go to the game it this is how it happens we've got to get together we've got to meet each other you can find yourselves uh you know a, a co-founder or a co-conspirator call it whatever you will um an orange pill app is a great way to do that this is the social layer of bitcoin which we need to push now for 2023 uh, so go check it out it will be a, it will be available soon on android and um yeah let's keep building you know you've got something to add bring it bring the noise uh thanks gandalf really appreciate you coming on brother please make sure you guys are stacking safely you can use coin corner you can use relay and swan bitcoin they're all great bitcoin companies if you want to go kyc free don't forget hodl hodl forward slash bitten they have you they have got you that is a global peer-to-peer -peer trading platform and get your 
keys under your control. Self-custody with shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten. Use the code bitten for 5% discount. Get to a conference. BTC Prague is going to be huge. Look at the link. Make sure you are paying close attention. They're going to start announcing speakers soon. And that is in June. You do want to be involved in this one. Believe me, it's very affordable. If you want to get to Miami, you can hit the link in the show notes. Use code BITTEN at checkout. At both of these places, you will get a 10% discount on those tickets. And make sure you're buying books. Get over to Consensus Network and get in my link tree. Get up in my link tree. It's all there. Every single company that wants to offer the plebs a discount is listed in that link tree and you will find some great companies and some great products and let's keep going have a great christmas if you're listening to this end of year really appreciate it that's year two of the once bitten podcast done we are going into year three can't wait we've all got already got such a great lineup of guests and we're closing in on the one millionth orange pill delivered on the downloads so thank you everybody for listening liking subscribing doing whatever you do really appreciate it and uh yeah what's left to say don't you know pump it up and let's fucking go catch you on the next show guys thanks for listening